you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. I would say like the stronger the the team, the more likely we are to do the deal. Uh, but in general, you know, if we if we don't like the idea or we don't like the market, it's hard for us to invest um, because you know, e even though good teams often figure things out, it still takes a lot of time. You know, maybe it takes them like six or eight months to figure out that you know some idea is like not a good idea to pursue. And and if your seed round is you know maybe you only have like a year and a half of time. Uh, taking six to eight months on like the wrong project in the beginning can be really, you know, it sort of like it doesn't set you up for success very well. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Leo Polovets, co-founder and general partner at Susa Ventures, an early-stage venture capital firm with having portfolio companies such as Robinhood, Andela, Flexport, and Steady. Before Susa, Leo was a second engineering hire at LinkedIn, where he helped build the first versions of products like LinkedIn Jobs and LinkedIn Groups. He then worked on payment fraud detection algorithms at Google and was also an engineer at Factual. Hi Leo, welcome to Founders FAQ. You have invested in great companies at early stages. My first question is, what do you look for a founder at your very first meeting? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it depends on, um, you know, the kind of company they're building. But I think, so what we're looking for is, you know, first, like, kind of general good skills, right? Like the person, you know, is ambitious, um, you know, hopefully they're, like, they're, they're likable so that, you know, they'll be able to like raise funds and recruit people and, you know, get, get like other people want to work with them. Um, and then, you know, depending on the product they're building, like if it's in some industry that's, you know, a little bit more archaic, um, you know, we really like to see founder market fit. So ideally they have some experience in this industry, maybe they've worked in it before. Um, cause otherwise, it's, it's pretty easy to make like sort of rookie mistakes. Um, so I'd say those are some of the top things. Um, you know, I, I think other things we look for are like thoughtfulness, um, you know, kind of evidence that they've thought deeply about the problem they're working on. So, you know, for example, like if, if I have like some random feature idea, which I sometimes do, um, you know, it's, especially if it's sort of like a more obvious idea. Um, it's always a good sign if the founder's like, no, I've already thought about that. Like, here's, you know, here's why it's on a roadmap or here's why it wouldn't work. Um, and it's always, you know, it's a little bit of like a yellow flag if, if, you know, I, sp I spent five minutes about thinking about something and said like, hey, you know, what if you did this? And the founder's like, never considered it before. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different things, but a lot of it boils down to like, you know, is the person likable? You know, are they determined? Are they ambitious? This kind of like know something about the, the industry they're going into. And maybe the last thing too is like uh, evidence that they've done things before, um, you know, like kind of been able to execute on things well that is always good. And that could be, you know, that could be at work, that could be at school, that could be, you know, outside of those things. Um, but just something that gives a sense of like what they can accomplish when they when they're really focus. And while you're evaluating founder, what if she has no track record? Well, I would say, first of all, you know, record can be other companies, but it could be something like maybe, you know, maybe you were like, really good at some sport in college, right? And, you know, a lot of times that takes, you know, so much hard work and like, you know, a lot of determination. So even though it's not related to startups, I think a lot of investors still see things like that as very positive signals. Um, 
or, you know, it could be that you didn't start a company, but you like, you worked at some company and had a big impact there, you know, whether your role was like as an executive or just an individual contributor. Um, so, so there's lots of ways to like, you know, kind of have a track record, even if you've never started a company before. And I, I think on the flip side, the less track record you have, uh, I think, you know, either the more you have to impress people with like, you know, I guess your personality in terms of, you know, if you're really, really brilliant, then I think people will mind as much if you don't have a track record if it's really clear that like you're really brilliant. And then I think the other thing is, you know, traction and data also makes up for, for not having a track record. So, you know, if you, if you have no track record and you're trying to raise a few million dollars and, you know, you have an idea, but nothing else, it's pretty hard. Uh, but if you don't have a track record and, you know, you've launched a product and, you know, the current product and it's got some traction or like users like it or, you know, you can like show people the app and they can look at the app and be like, oh, that's, you know, really well designed or, you know, well thought out. Um, I think then people care less about the past track record and they more look at just the evidence of what you're able to do right now. And what do you think about solo versus group of founders? Um, I don't have a strong preference. I think we've seen both work pretty well. Uh, I think there's a little bit of stigma to being a solo founder. I definitely think it's possible to build a good company as a solo founder, and there's also examples of that. Um, I think the main challenges for solo founders are twofold. So first, you know, a lot of startups need multiple skill sets, right? So there's like engineering, there's sales, there's fundraising, you know, there's hiring and management. And if you're trying to find all of those things in one person, it's a lot harder than, you know, if you're trying to find those things in a group of two or three people. Because uh, in a group, maybe, you know, one person's good at sales, one person's in like management, one's good at engineering, one's good at design. And so that ends up, you know, kind of checking all of the boxes where it would be hard to check them in one person. Um, I think the other challenge for solo founders is just that startups, as you know, have a lot of ups and downs. And so, you know, I think if you have a partner, it helps a lot because, you know, they're, they're kind of going through the journey with you. They see the ups and downs, you know, sometimes like energy and other times it's the opposite where like you can, you know, you can help bring them up uh, when they're down. So, so I think just like psychologically, it, it can be really helpful to have a co-founder. Um, but again, I don't think it's a requirement. Great. And at that point, you you really like the team, but you have some questions about the market. Do you even make the deal at that time? Um, it depends. You know, I would say like the stronger the the team, the more likely we are to do the deal. Uh, but in general, you know, if we if we don't like the idea or we don't like the market, it's hard for us to invest um, because. You know, even though good teams often figure things out, it still takes a lot of time. You know, maybe it takes them like six or eight months to figure out that, you know, some idea is like not a good idea to pursue. And, and if your seed round is, you know, maybe you only have like a year and a half of time, uh, taking six to eight months on like the wrong project in the beginning can be really, you know, it sort of like it doesn't set you up for success very well. Um, so I would say like if the team's really, really stellar, we might still invest, but usually we want, you know, want to at least like the idea in the market. Great. And most of the first-time founders have questions on the valuation part, especially while closing their runs. So how do you determine the valuation for both pre-revenue and post-revenue companies? I think a lot of it ends up being market pricing. So, you know, we, we look at probably about 100 or 200 companies a month, uh, you know, at least at least briefly. And so, and then for a lot of those, we sort of track them as they're fundraising. We, we have a sense of what does a typical, you know, pre-seed round look like? So we're, we're basically trying to see like, you know, let's say a typical seed round might be, you know, 3 million at 
a $12 million post money valuation. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll generally stick close to that. And then if we're less sure, uh, or if maybe the company's a little bit earlier, um, you know, maybe we'd offer like a nine or $10 million valuation because it, it seems like there's more, more risk in a company. Um, or on the flip side, maybe if like, if it is, you know, we have more confidence because maybe like the early data is really strong or, or the founders, you know, like uh, especially compelling, uh, we'd be willing to offer a higher price. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of based on like what, what we're seeing as normal for seed state rounds. Um, and then I would say the other part is just how much competition there is. So, you know, if it's just us, we'll, we'll negotiate on price and, Try to find like a good middle ground with the founder. It's less about and more about seeing kind of how how high the highest offer from other other funds is. Uh, because usually, if that offer is really high, then negotiation and more like deciding whether we're willing to invest at you know, a similar price or not. Um, and sometimes we are, oftentimes we're not. And you have great scaled companies on your social portfolio. They all need to scale with A plus people and at start founders need more generalists to hire than scale with specialists. How do you see it in your portfolio companies and how do you help founders to scale their companies after the investment? Well, this, so this is a generalization, but I think usually companies start with hiring generalists because in the early days, you know, one is you only have a budget for like a small number of people. So, um, you know, doing like hiring specialists is hard because you might not cover all of the areas you need to cover. So you kind of want people that can do maybe two or three things each instead of one thing each. Um, and then as you get bigger and you have, you know, needs get like kind of more fleshed out. Um, that's when companies start hiring more on the specialist side. Um, and then, and, you know, in terms of how we help, I think there's a lot of different areas. So, you know, part of it's just, you know, what I mentioned about, being a solo founder and it being kind of a hard journey to take by yourself. Uh, we, we try to just give people support as they're growing the business in terms of, you know, like listening to their problems. Um, you know, a lot of times if they're frustrated by something, um, trying to, trying to give them examples of like other, other founders that have been in a similar place and work through it where, you know, like, I guess, you know, if people are discouraged, we try to like cheer them up a little bit or like motivate them a little bit. Um, with, you know, relevant stories. Um, and then, you know, if there's questions on specific areas, like maybe it's like how to hire a sales VP or, you know, or like how to test the market better in some, some capacity, uh, sometimes we can help with that directly. And then if we can't, we'll try to connect people with either experts or other founders we work with. Uh, and then maybe like the, the other areas we try to help in are, you know, one is, uh, training on, you know, some of these basics like sales and pricing and things like that. We'll do workshops pretty regularly. Uh, and then we also try to help a lot with Series A fundraising. So helping, you know, helping people like create pitch decks, figure out which investors to reach out to, like get interest to those investors from us or, you know, maybe some of the other seed investors they have, uh, things like that. Great. And other important thing is pivots. Do you see pivots in later stages such as Series B? And what will be your approach for pivots? Um, I, I don't know if I see pivots very often at later stages. Uh, usually most of the pivots I've seen happen at like during the seed round. At series A, I think what, what we're more likely to see is maybe expansions, you know, where like you were targeting one market and now you try targeting like a second market or, you know, you had one product line and now you've decided to add one more product line. Um, I think it's, it's pretty hard to just like do a full pivot in a later round because, you know, when you're, when you, Go, have to go raise money again, you know, like after a series A, for example, you have to go raise a series B uh, in a year or year and a half. If you're pivoting, you basically have to go from scratch to like series B traction in a year and a half. And that's really hard. Uh, so we don't see that quite as often. 
And my last question is reaching out VCs. You're pretty active in territory. So do you prefer crystal clear cold emails or warm intros? It's a complicated question. So I think, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of meeting VCs, what I've seen is, so warm intros definitely work best. Um, you know, cause if, if there's someone you know that knows the VC and, you know, and they will vouch for you, that, that, that's a, that's a pretty strong way to get an introduction. Um, but I think cold emails actually work pretty well. Uh, you have to, you have to kind of be thoughtful, uh, when you write them and, you know, make them, make them good emails, but they'll probably get something like a 20, 30% reply rate. You know, so if you spend like 15 minutes on 10 emails, you know, it might take you like two hours, uh, but you probably get like two or three investors out of the time that, you know, we're applying and say like, Hey, this sounds interesting. Let's chat. Um, so I think that works well. So I'd say those are some of the, the, the top things I would recommend. Leo, these are all my questions. Thank you for coming to Founders of AQ. We'll talk to you soon then. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey. Whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.